start. I think people really struggle to get started. And, you know, I will say that that action is the most important thing. So, you know, if you're tossing or thinking about an idea um, and, and you can't quite decide, like you just gotta go and you gotta go fast and you're gonna like bump into walls and then you go, oh, okay, we're going this direction now. And like, that's all normal, right? Like startups aren't normal. I think that's the other thing that a lot of people fail to understand. It's like, these are these really weird experiments, you know, and, and you just have to test and test and test and, and see what works. And when you, you know, we keep that feedback loop tight and you just keep on going. But Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of the Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the, ser the serial entrepreneur that's uh, grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as a CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where we focus on helping startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com. We are always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Lauren Chitwood, and to give a bit of a, a background on Lauren. So she was uh, wanting to be an entrepreneur for a while, uh, went to school in, uh, and graduated in 2008 with a public relations degree from University of Kentucky. And uh, after graduation, kind of started getting into lecturing events for kind of business related and, and events where it's a, a bit of the higher scale or upscale but, or luxury side and scaled that business, grew it for a while until 2016 when she sold it and as, uh, then was looking for something new. And the intent, what part of it was to take her weekends back and may or may not have ever happened as she can chime in on that, but that was part of the intent. Also, was looking for something new that was fun. Met a co-founder that was in the hospital hospitality business as well, and uh, was looking or did a lot in the goods and wines and, and those type of festivals. And uh, started looking into different companies and partnered with different brands and kind of was looking for that. And also reflecting back on doing a lot of the luxury events they done and, and saying there was a I think there was a demand for spiritless drinks, or in other words, non non alcoholic drinks that were for spirits, and how that was often in demand and how they could start to build and form a company around that. So with that, formed a company and has been growing it ever since, which is now spiritless.com. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Lauren. Thank you, Devin. Thank you very much. So I gave the brief 30 second run through of a much longer journey. So let's take, why don't you take us back in time a bit and tell us a little bit about how it got started and then kind of uh, graduating in 2008. Yeah, well, so as you as you summarize, so I'm a I'm a 2008 grad, and I think as many graduates at that time, as you're coming out of school and looking at the job market, you're not exactly sure what's there for you. Um, and I I was really sure I didn't want to go back to school, and I was also really sure that I didn't want to sell banner ads online, and that that sort of felt like maybe my my options. And so I said, you know what? I think I've got a network that will still be entertaining despite the times. And, you know, I think that, I think that I, I think that I have the organizational skills and the know-how to, to start an event business. So jumped right in and was wonderfully naive, which I think is a really an important skill for, for many entrepreneurs, because if you knew, if you knew everything that you needed to know, you probably wouldn't do it. Right. Cause there's all mm. those problems know you run into um and and yeah ended up scaling scaling that business and i sold it in 2016. 
Now, one question I'll get into, because you touched on it a bit. So you come out with public relations saying, okay, I, I want to do something. First of all, 2008, to your point, is probably not the a most or the best time, or at least in quotes, the best time to graduate in the sense of hit, starting to hit the crash and the, or the housing market and things are starting to be a downturn. And yet you're still graduating. You still have to figure out a way to make an, an income, make a living. So how did you, how did you kind of land on the luxury events and kind of doing that for in the business space? Was it hey, I'll, I'll do something and this sounds exciting and just light bulb moment or how did you kind of land on that? Yeah, I think it just felt accessible to me. You know, I think if, as you look at other businesses, you know, and, and certainly something that we're very familiar with, with now and Spiritless is, you know, just the, you know, the, the cost of entry into a lot of these, a lot of these worlds or, or new businesses, you know, take some real, real capital. And, you know, what I, what I liked about the event business is that, um, you know, it was, it was a relatively um, accessible business for me from a financial perspective to get going. And so that was really, you know, that would just, you know, an, an instinctual idea for my skill set um, was really what said, like, I'm going to try this. So, so, and you, so you land on that. And I, I agree with the, your comment that you made that, you know, every, I think every entrepreneur has to be a bit of an over, overly optimistic or, or a bit naive in the sense, if you really understood all the possible things that could go wrong, all the things that you don't know, all the hidden costs, all the other things, you would probably never get into it because you'd be scared off way too yeah. early on. And yet there's, it presents a lot of opportunities because you're, you know, you, you don't know these things that you're willing to dive in, get going, and you can oftentimes figure those out. So I, I tend to agree that there needs to be a bit of optimism. Now you grew that, it would have been what, about eight years that you were in the luxury event and kind of that, you know, luxury event business. Yeah. Now, as you're getting towards the end of that, you decided to sell. Now, was that out of a matter of you had somebody come along and make you the proverbial offer you can't refuse for saying, Hey, I want to take a break. This is, you know, the market's drying up. What, you know, kind of what prompted the shift or that sell the business and to, to go on yeah. to something else? It was, it was an offer, you know, it was an offer at just the right time too, probably if I was being honest, which is, um, you know, I had a young family at the time and, you know, there were, there were 30 weekends a year that I probably wasn't sleeping and running around, you know, dealing with, some unforeseen, you know, crisis, because that's just really what the, the live event world is, right? Just dealing with whatever happens and, and you know, the best laid plans, um, you know, sometimes go awry. So it was, it was a really good timing for me. I was, I was actively already thinking about what was my next thing? What, what did I need to do? You know, I, I think the event business, although it's a wonderful business, it is, um, it is for the young. I think that, you know, I, I knew that as I, although I, I still, I still consider myself young, but I knew that it wasn't something I wanted for my, for my, my whole life. And so, you know, I'd already kind of had that realization. And, and when the offer came, it was like, well, yes, <laughs> it was, it was great. It was just great. No. And I think that that, you know, it's usually most of the time, you know, cause people can make an offer on your business. A lot of times you're saying, no, I want to keep it or I'm enjoying it. But a lot of times it's in that timing of, Hey, I'm looking to take back a little bit of my personal life, family life. I'm, you know, maybe a bit worn out and all of those things kind of combine and say, okay, it's the right time. So they make the offer. So now they make the offer, they buy out the business, you sell that, you know, now what did you do? Did you right immediately go to your next, you know, great idea. And then, you know, start looking for business, say, Hey, I'm going to take some time off. Somebody else approached you with the idea. Kind of, how did you, now that you sold the business, how did you kind of tackle that next phase? Yeah. And so I, you know, I, I probably took very little time off. I think in hindsight, I think it felt 
like an extraordinary amount of time, but I think it was probably like three months that was the gap, which is kind of laughable, but probably. I don't know for, you know, if you're always go, 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 and you, you know, you're doing a startup, small business, that amount of time you're sitting there saying, okay, I've got a lot of time. What am I going to do? I, you you know, it always, and I'm kind of the same way. I always like, you know, it'd be nice one time to just have weekends and nights where I don't have to think of anything. I turn my brain off. And then yeah. I'm like, yeah, and I'd probably do that. And if I were to ever step back, I'd probably get bored. And in, in a month or two, I'd be right back to where I'm at because, you know, that's, I think a lot of times how you're wired. Yeah. I don't think I turned my brain off for a second, to be honest. I mean, I think that I was already incubating what was the, what was the potential next thing. And so I knew that I wanted to, I knew I wanted my next business. If I was going to stay in the hospitality and event lane, which I felt like I had a lot of power in. I felt like it was something that I that I really intimately understood. I also knew that I really wanted to get away from the um, from the emotion of taking someone or an individual's money in return for an event because that's also just like it's a roller coaster. Corporate dollars are much more transactional, right? Like this has nothing to do with someone's ego or you know whatever they're they're kind of trying to express. Um, and so, you know, I, I knew that I was looking for for something that was that was outside of the leisure business. I also knew that I was looking for for something that I could do with a partner. I think that you know, although although being a solopreneur you know, there, there are benefits to it, but they're also just like, I will never do a business by myself ever again. And so all the while I'm, you know, just kind of incubating ideas, thinking about what's next, thinking about what a partner would be and and who I should look for. And then, um, you know, by, by another stroke of maybe luck or, you know, supreme manifestation, I met my my co-founder in my second business, Abby Ferguson, who's actually a co-founder in Spiritless as well. So now how did you how did you guys connect? Was it somebody already knew you had to yeah. happen to meet in a coffee shop and hit it off? You yeah. went to a business was event our, or kind of how did you network- make that connection? Our networks push us together. So um, it was interesting. So Abby has this great history in food and beverage. And so she was on the, the founding team of the New York City Food and Wine Festival when it came up from South Beach. From there, she went down to Atlanta and was on the founding team of the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival, which also sold in 2016. She happened to be in Louisville. Her husband is a native. And it was, it was funny because for months, both of us, kept hearing our network and our, our, our pals say, you know, you should really meet so-and-so or you should meet Lauren or you should meet Abby. And it was really serendipitous just on an, on an evening out. She was actually walking into a doorway I was walking out of and everybody said, wait, 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 <laughs> hold on. We've been trying to connect you two. Wait, wait, wait. And so we literally stood and talked in this doorway um, and exchange, exchange phone numbers. And then, and then from there, we, we say, we call it our dating period. You know, we, we had a, a lot of lunches and, and got to know one another and talked about what could be and, um, you know, how we would blend her experience and, you know, the value that she brought versus, um, with everything that, that I knew and had, had experienced through business. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's how it happened. No, and that definitely, you know, that's always, it's always interesting how you connect with people and whether it's clients or 
founders or co-founders or business partners. It's not necessarily the way that you, you know, it's not like in the movies or the television show where it's just a perfect match made in heaven, but it's oftentimes, you know, different or interesting ways that you make the, the connection. So you guys said, you know, you made that connection, you finally connected, you did, you went through the dating period, which I think is smart on everybody's end in the sense that once you, you know, it, it, it is a lot like dating and marriage in the sense that a business partner, you're working with them for a long period of time, you're going to have your ups and downs, you're going to have the business is going to go through struggles, you're probably going to have your fights. And you know, you have a lot of joint assets. And so there's a lot of overlap. And I think to make sure that that's a good fit is absolutely, you know, makes sense. So now as you, you you kind of go through that dating period, how did, did you, whose idea was it? Or how did you guys land on this spiritless kind of an idea? Yeah, so, you know, we we started a company called Olio. And what Olio did, and this was, this was the second business and Spiritless is the third in my life cycle. So, um, so Olio essentially connected the trade and the consumer to big beverage uh, conglomerates and, and the brands that fell underneath them. And so Abby has the most amazing Rolodex. I mean, if you are a heavy hitter in the food and beverage world, she has probably worked with you and probably saved your bacon at some point. So um, we really use those contacts as a way to do experiential events, to do um, you know all kinds of marketing campaigns and marketing initiatives by being able to kind of layer on layer on that Rolodex and you know that is kind of an additional additional perk um, or additional angle, if you will. And you know, really, where, where Spiritless was ultimately born is that we kept solving the same problem. For all of our customers, they were they were calling us, and it was, it was always an afterthought, but always urgent. And they were saying, "I'm so sorry, I didn't, I failed to mention this, but this is really important. We need something non-alcoholic, and can it not be? You know, there was water, tea, coffee, juice, nothing syrup-based. You know, there was there was nothing in a can. There was this enormous list of qualifiers. And as we time and time again went to try to solve that problem, we were really struggling to do it in a way that was creative or that wasn't just water or something that was juice-based. And so um, so that's really the, the aha moment for, for when Spiritless was born is, is, you know, just solving our own, our own problems and our customers' problems. No, and that definitely makes sense. And, you know, it's interesting how oftentimes the customers will come and tell you what they want. Some people are good. If you're a good entrepreneur, you'll listen. You know, it's always a balance in the sense if you get some customers, they tell you it's what they want, but they're not willing to pay for it or they're not willing to actually do anything about it. And this is kind of, yeah, this would be a nice to have. And they keep telling you and then you go do it. And you're not, you know, nobody it's a failed business because nobody wants to pay for it. But all the other times, you know, if your customers are consistently wanting it and already paying you for it, it presents an opportunity for you. Now, one question I'd have is, so you have Olio, which is the other business. Did you guys say, hey, we're going to run these two businesses side by side. We're going to spin this out. It's going to start out as one business or kind of we're going to close one down, close the other business down because this is a better opportunity. Kind of how did you make the transition? Yeah. So, so we incubated it for a while in Olio. Um, you know, we had, we had kind of a, a separate half of the world that, you know, was, was working and thinking about this, doing some market research. You know, we were, we were kind of plugging away a little bit on the sidelines. And then when we, when we really were able to just assess the size and the scope of the opportunity, we just said, this is ours, this is ours to miss. And so we essentially, um, we, we closed that business and, and went full force and into spiritless well that kudos you guys now one follow-up question i I have lots of fun or questions yeah when you do that you know what period of time was that over where you kind of had the idea you started to transition it take you know 
test it out, see if it works before you made the full jump and shut down the other business? Was this over yeah, a matter was, of a week, a month, a year, five years? No, kind of what it was probably, it was probably between three and six months, which, you know, and I think that one of the things that I honestly felt is even, you know, there was, there was also some other strain and some other optics happening, which is that for me, I really desired to be out of a key man business, but I found myself in another key man business, which is that, you know, Abby and I were really kind of the intellectual capital of that business that, that ultimately, you know, scaling it again and having an asset that probably really um, lived outside of us on a day-to-day was going to be really challenging. And that was becoming apparent. We were still kind of on that client hamster wheel, which is just like, oh, you know, every single day, there's just a new, a new thing. And, and that's really, that's one of the challenges of services based businesses. Um, so, you know, I was, I was tossing with that reality all the while we were working on spiritless and, you know, to have something that, you know, while certainly team is enormously valuable, but an asset that can really live outside of me um, was, was something that I was highly interested in. And so as we were, as we were incubating that, I was also just saying like, I think this is really where I want to be. Hmm. No, and that, that definitely makes sense. And so, so now you guys, you know, you, you figure out, okay, we do that for a period of time. We have a transition. We say, Hey, the bigger opportunity is here. We're more excited about it. We don't have to be on the hamster wheel of always trying to generate new business and clients and we can focus on the product and kind of sales on that. So you go through all of that and you jump into spiritless. And this was, I think you said either your third or second, second or third startup. And it was the other founders. Now, now as you get into it, was it, you know, was it easier the, the, after doing it multiple rounds and already have, working with your partner? Would it still present issues with the business just take off and skyrocket? Was it bumpy as you're trying to, you know, get people to accept the product or how did that launch go? Yeah, no, I mean, listen, the, the launch has gone incredibly well. We're, we're so fortunate. I think that, you know, although we had touched beverage in, in so many ways over the course of our careers, there is there is an enormous hurdle on creating a liquid that then goes to live on a shelf. And I think that's also one of those things when I start thinking about the beautiful naivete of entrepreneurship, had we known how hard it was going to be to, to create a process, to bring it to scale, to, you know, to navigate all the, the regulatory nuance with making a high proof spirit and then turning it into a non-alcoholic product and meeting the, um, the, you know, food and alcohol regulations and then the FDA, you know, there's so much nuance to it. And those are things that we, we sort of knew, but then as you live, it is so challenging. So I will say that we have experienced success that is so far beyond my expectation, especially for the amount of time that we have been in business, but at the same time have had pains and hurdles, um, that were completely not what we expected as well. But I guess if I had to pick the problem, um, you know, having more supply than we have to, or having more demand than we have supply for is probably the problem that I would choose. That's always a much better, it's, it, it can still be a problem. Don't get, I mean, I think that people say, oh, you, you have sales and you, you know, oh, you, now you still have to keep up with the demand, but it's always yeah. a much more fun and better problem to solve than, hey, we don't have any demand now. How do we make yeah. a business out of that? And so yeah. now you do that and you kind of, you know, take that over the last few years, you guys have been building it, you've been growing it, you've been uh, seeing success and finding that, that place in the marketplace. Now looking a bit forward, you know, kind of the next six to 12 months, where do you guys see, where do you see things headed? 
Yeah, so we're really fortunate that we've got this wonderful national footprint now. So, you know, bottles are overall 50 states and that's in off-premise, on-premise. Um, also, we're shipping, of course, direct to consumer. So, you know, bottles are showing up on customers' doorsteps and they're enjoying. Um, you know, I think when we start looking at the next six to 12 months, what we're really seeing is, of course, an expansion of that footprint, especially in the on-premise. Um, obviously, being in this kind of new post, almost post-COVID world, um, you know, there's, we're fortunate, there's just enormous pent up demand, um, you know, in the hospitality space that I think we're really starting to feel come back in a meaningful way, which is really exciting. Um, and then we're also, you know, our eyes are on the prize when we start thinking about future innovations. So our first product is Kentucky 74. It's a non-alcoholic spirit for bourbon cocktails. And we're also working on a, on a product that is a, that there will be a similar product, but for tequila based cocktails. Um, and that be launching in the second half of this year. For us, also size is an is is an innovation. Um, so we're thinking about smaller sizes, looking at doing you know specialty mailing experiences and a variety of of other things. Um, but you know, right now it's just um, it's just frankly like we are still just making sure that we've got the capacity to make all of this stuff because holy moly, people are buying it. Well, that's awesome. That's always, that's, it sounds like a lot of fun or fun opportunities for, you know, move forward. And it's always, whenever you're looking in the future, it's kind of, you know, how much do we expand? How much do we try new things? How much do we stay with our core product? Do we do more product offerings? Do we go to different verticals or, Hey, we go to different verticals. It can sometimes hurt the brand. So it's always interesting to see kind of all the different options available, especially as you're seeing success and kind of where things are headed. Yeah. Well, as, as we start to wrap up, I always have two questions at the end of each podcast. So we'll go ahead and jump to those now. Um, first question I always ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it? Oh my gosh. Um, you know, I will say along my journey, probably the worst uh, business decisions that I've made is not... Um, not correcting a poor hiring decision um, as quickly as I should have. And I will say that I've, I've learned that lesson twice and it was enough. Um, and, you know, not to say that, uh, you know, that it's fearless, your head's on the chopping block immediately. But I think that, you know, being an, an empathetic person, sometimes we hesitate too much to make decisions that, that we know the answers to. Um, and so, I will say that I'm that I'm much more highly focused on when I know it's not right. I'm I've got the power to say it, and I'm and I'm you know I'm much more aggressive in remedying those uh, those issues issues really quickly. No, and I and I just one it's a lesson that I had to learn as well. And you know, it's first of all, I always found that you know when you're when you're a founder, co-founder, an entrepreneur, you always think, and at least I did, and I'll put I won't say always. A lot of people think, hey, everybody is going to work as hard as me and everybody's going to be as involved with the business. And you come to, as you start to grow and as you start to make it higher, you come to find out not everybody works as quite as many hours as you are quite as excited. And to find those individuals that are really excited about the business isn't quite as easy as it might sound. And then the other one is, is it's hard, you know, especially if you're a small uh, business, is you get to know the people and, the, you know, whether or not they're doing a job, whether or not they're a good employee for the business you still develop a relationship with them. They're there in the trenches there with you. And so that one is one that, you know, I think is a, a difficulty that a lot of people hit into as, a, as they start to get into entrepreneurship, they hire people in that, that it takes a couple of times before, you know, or even more sometimes to get it right, to figure out how to hire, who to hire, what to look for, what to not look yeah. for, what are the flags, because it's, it's, a, it's a much more complex problem. So I definitely makes yeah. that makes sense. 
And when it's good, it's so good. And I think that's the thing. Like you got to hold on to that idea of like, I know this is painful, but the right person in this role is just like, you know, it makes like, a huge difference. It yep, makes exactly. a huge difference. And so you got to keep your eye on the prize, right? The, the mm. like the short-term pain is really an investment and in, in a long-term gain. And, um, you know, culture, culture is everything. So <laughs> No, and the one other thing I'll add, and then we'll jump to the second question, which is, I think sometimes, especially the temptation with the startup or small businesses, you get so busy, you have so many things to do, you get a demand, you need to bring someone on and you tend to hire too quickly in the sense that you just need to have, you think, oh, I just need somebody that can do this position and you don't take the time to vet the people or get the right people. And those are usually the more costly hires because then you end up having to go redo it anyway, let them go after you've already brought them on, trained them and everything, and you have to go refine that right person. So sometimes- slowing it down has a big benefit. Yep. It's, you know, it's, it's hard either way. Cause yes, things are moving fast. I hear you. So now I'll jump to the second question, which is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Just start. I think people really struggle to get started. And, you know, I will say that that action is the most important thing. So, you know, if you're tossing or thinking about an idea um, and, and you can't quite decide, like you just gotta go and you gotta go fast and you're gonna like bump into walls and then you go, oh, okay, we're going this direction now. And like, that's all normal, right? Like startups aren't normal. I think that's the other thing that a lot of people fail to understand. It's like, these are these really weird experiments, you know, and, and you just have to test and test and test and, and see what works. And when you, you know, you keep that feedback loop tight and you just keep on going. But um, I can't tell you how many um, entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs I, I talk to and, and they're really immobilized by the unknowns. And, mm-hmm. and that's just, that's, you can't be like, you just have to go um, and, and just always be testing and keep your eyes open. No, and I, and I like that. And interestingly, I think we're coming up on a couple hundred episodes. I can't remember when this will air or what number it is exactly, but I'd probably say out of all the entrepreneurs I've talked with that have been on the podcast and that I work with my business, that's probably the number one answer that, you know, it's usually a variation of get started earlier, you know, don't get make up excuses or get started now. But it's interesting yeah. that it's many different industries and many different journeys and everything people that's the one thing because people oftentimes you make too many excuses or you make a reason why you know and i and i think mentioned a little bit on the the podcast before is you can always make your excuse you know i could when i started out it could have been hey you're still in school so you know i gotta wait till i graduate once i graduate i gotta get a little bit of experience and then once i get a little experience now i started a family and i have kids and i have responsibilities and then you get in and say oh i'll do it when i'm older and then when you get older say well i've done it for so long i'm too older i can't you know too late and there's always a reason to not start now or the economy's not good or the economy or i'm waiting for a different change in whatever it is and it's always an excuse and there's always a reason not to get started and yet just get started just do it freaking rip the band-aid off man yeah well now as we wrap up if people want to uh connect up with you they want to be a customer or client they want to be an employee they want to be an investor they want to be your next best friend any or all the above what's the best way to reach out or find out more yeah, so obviously you can visit and purchase Spiritless at spiritless.com. Um, and then I am available by email. So lauren at spiritless.com. 
All right. Well, I definitely encourage everybody to check out the website, uh, support the comp- or the business and reach out to Lauren if you have a question, whether it's Eddie or all of the above. Uh, great that she's available. Well, thank you again, Lauren, for coming on. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell, we'd love to share your journey. So just go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the podcast and we'd love to share. A couple more things as listeners. One, make sure to click subscribe so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so new people can find out about us as well last but not least if you ever need help with your patents trademarks or anything else feel free to reach out to us just go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time with us to chat thank you again lauren it's been fun it's been a pleasure and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last awesome thanks devin